And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Lord, would you, at the start of this new year, come and speak uh, your hope afresh into our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Happy New Year. Um, Thank you for coming. I knew that uh, there'd be um, a number of you coming. I didn't think. The the St. Bart's is not filled with the faint-hearted Texans who tremble at winter, do they? Uh, Even though we only have winter twice a year, unless it was last year, and we won't talk about that. Um, uh, A month ago, we came to you and we asked for you to prayerfully consider giving towards our end-of-year goal, which we, having looked at the numbers and prayed, felt the Lord was asking us to make an appeal for $100,000 to be brought in by the end of December. And I want to thank the Lord for his generosity through you because we have exceeded that target. We'll know more next week as, you know, uh, banks catch up because they took extra time off this year, which I don't understand, but never mind. Um, and, um, and so we'll, we'll get that number to you uh, when we can, but isn't that amazing? We have just such a wonderful display of the Lord's generosity and um, means that uh, we have so much opportunity now for the new year to build on the foundation of the church here at St. Bart's. So thank you. I would, we could applaud, I think. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it was just, just wonderful. Um, and if you've been coming for a while, uh, the last couple of weeks, you know we've been in Luke. And we've been especially in Luke chapter 2, which is an interesting chapter because it's the opening of the life of Jesus. And the way that Luke writes chapter 2 is that he is um, including characters that were actually there, but portraying them in such a way that if you read through Luke chapter 2 in one setting, you should find someone you identify with. And that's really the hope. And last week we looked at Simeon. And as we looked at Simeon, uh, this morning we're going to look at Anna, we see that Jesus is painting a picture of who the real world leader will be like. That is Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the real king of the world instead of Caesar. And this picture isn't what you'd expect. The propaganda being set out by uh, Luke in chapter 2 is not one that we would expect on an Instagram feed, social media, on the news, or anything else, because it's a, it's a somber, it's a picture full of somber colors. And the more that Luke fills in the detail of the picture, the more we realize that this is a different sort of kingdom than what people expected. Is it what God has promised throughout the Old Testament? Yes, it is. But Luke is warning us that it doesn't look like what people expected. In particular, this this has become a story about suffering already. Simeon said last week, I'll remind you, it's just earlier in the passage you could see, he's saying that uh, for God to comfort Israel, a sword will pierce Mary's side. 
Anna's in touch with the people who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, and they're both living in a world, and they both seem to have this patient hope where suffering has become a way of life. And our world still remains full of suffering, although we seem to be increasingly a short supply of patience and a short supply of hope. Present company accepted. Y'all are saints, as far as I'm concerned. And it now appears that God's appointed redeemer will deal with the suffering of the world by sharing in it himself. And so when we rejoin this morning our passage read to us by Chris, we rejoin Mary and Joseph who are stunned as Simeon has just blessed the baby Jesus. And then the prophet Anna, the prophetess Anna joins the party. Simeon and Anna, an old man and an old woman advanced in years, had been worshiping God day and night, praying for the salvation of the people as they wait for their turn to die. That's the, that's the somber picture. And again, just like Simeon, Anna rocks up to the party at just the right place and at just the right time. In Alcoholics Anonymous, some of you may be familiar with this, they say that coincidences are God's way of being anonymous. And what we see here is that God, there's been a lot of supernatural activity, but when Jesus is born, there's, it seems to be a lot of coincidence happening. God is very much active just in the background. Uh, I read this this week by Jean-Pierre de Cossade, French or Cajun, I'm not sure. Um, he says it this way, those who have abandoned themselves to God always lead mysterious lives and receive from him exceptional and miraculous gifts by means of the most ordinary, natural, and chance experiences in which there appears to be nothing unusual. I remember when we uh, moved here, December 12, 2013, um, you know, we moved from England to Dallas, and uh, Christmas was coming, and um, it was rather complex to transfer money from England to the U.S., and there was a holdup in the wire transfer, and we suddenly realized that we didn't have any money for Christmas, like zero. And I didn't even have an opportunity to tell Rachel the kind of mess we're in, because all of a sudden there was a knock on the door, and someone had come to the door who we just met at the church, and they said that we were praying last night and just sensed Jesus want us to give you this. And they handed us an envelope with $5,000 in it. And he said, Merry Christmas. Just the most un... Yeah, isn't that... I mean, I was, I was like gobsmacked. Say, oh, Lord, you haven't brought us here to die. <laughs> it's funny how quickly our mindset changes and we think, oh, this is going to go so horribly wrong. And we forget that even before we know that there's a problem, he's already gotten to work to set about the solution. Um, and it's incredible, the sense of God working in the most ordinary, natural, and chance experiences where there appears to be nothing unusual. And that's what I love. When I first met people who were really interested in the Holy Spirit, they all seemed rather eccentric in a way that I wasn't prepared to follow. Uh, the first warning was they drank a lot of herbal tea. 
And I'm like, I don't see the point because it promises all of the scent and flavor. And when you drink it, it has none of the flavor and it's just kind of a weird color. And then they would do a lot of wild things that I just couldn't, it just, I just didn't want, you know, I just couldn't go there. And then um, when I got to theological college, I met people who were sold out for Jesus, filled with the Spirit, people of prayer, and they were normal. And I was like, oh, wow, there's something here. And it's, it's what people have referred to throughout the recent church history of just being really natural about the things of God or really natural about the supernatural. See, yeah, sometimes God does big things, but often it's just really practical. And so here we are. Anna arrives at the right place at the right time, and um, she is a prophet. You know, well, what does that mean? Well, the intercessors, people who spend a lot of their time praying, generally are known as people who keep bringing the heart of the people to God. And prophets, like Anna, are people who bring the heart of God to the people. And I like that. And so we see here that she is one of the first to tell people that Jesus is the Messiah because she goes to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem to say that he has arrived. Redemption is at hand. I've been a priest for 18 years, and in that time, a number of people have confided in me that they don't feel the need for a specific time or place to pray. And uh, they don't set aside time in the morning, but they just pray as they go through the day. You know, it's just like an ongoing conversation. And, you know, I love the spirit of that. I love especially that sense of we, there isn't a hard, fast rule that you have to confine to a certain religious pattern, but, you know, our days can be days of prayer. Uh, and yet, Anna kind of gives us another, another example. Just look down with me at the passage. It says here, she was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She didn't depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. I wonder if Anna's commitment to worship, to pray, to fast, as you can tell, fasting is not something I'm super committed to, um, I wonder if Anna's commitment to giving God her undivided attention through her regular rhythms of prayer in the temple helped her better recognize God's presence in this moment. Is it that she was in the right place at the right time because of the decisions that she made that turned into patterns and habits? I mean, think about this. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go out through the day and talk to the Lord continuously. Yes, do that. But there's, there's the other side here. There's a help to a meeting regularly and intentionally as Anna did. Think about this for, with me for a moment. Anna, uh, what do we know about her? Well, she was the daughter of Phanuel. And Phanuel, the name has two meanings. The first meaning is uh, the face or one who has seen the face of God. Which is interesting, because we read of Moses, one of the most spectacular leaders 
in the scriptures. And what was he told? You cannot see my face. Here we have a woman, 84 years of age, whose father's name was to see the face of God. I just find that fantastic. The other meaning may be Penuel, which is uh, the name of the place where Jacob wrestled with God. So here we have a woman who was likely married at the age of 16, if she was a wallflower. Do they still have that term today? You know, um, probably maybe even earlier, married for seven years, and then a widow to the age of 84. So 60 years, a widow. She didn't depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And one of the things that church history and the scriptures teaches is that God reveals his secret purposes in history to humble servants who continually live in his presence. And this is a woman who didn't settle for what the culture said was enough to be faithful. There's something more here. There's something going on here. She didn't settle for the status quo. She went deeper. I don't know if you're familiar with the revival that happened in the north of Scotland in the Hebrides in the 1950s. Just one of the most incredible outpourings of the Spirit where entire communities came to faith. And uh, as dramatic as the events of what happened in the Hebrides, what people often don't realize that it started with two women who never married because most of the men had died in the war. And yet they prayed every night for years that the Lord would bring about a change in the lives of the young people in the Hebrides so that what was lost in the war in the lives of so many that the Lord would redeem and that there would be people of, of great character who would rise up and take the place that was needed. And um, I studied with a, a man named Malcolm McDonald who really taught me how to pray and his parents were from the Hebrides and they were children when this all happened. And he said these two women prayed for 30 years and then all of a sudden something changed. It's incredible. We seem to forget the power of what people who meet together and pray together in unity can do. We can be so blinded and think that in order to be powerful, we need to have the right people, we need to have money, we need to have support, we need to have a following, we need to have all of the influence that the world points to, and we can forget that the most powerful place of influence is the posture of prayer. And now, I'm going to admit to you, I've fallen asleep in every possible way of praying. In fact, I always found a prayer meeting was a great way to catch up on the sleep I'd missed. You know, and finding time to pray as a parent with young children is challenging, right? So this is, you know, and so they're, they're, we're not trying to say that you have to do this, but there is a merit here to looking to what we can learn from people who have spent time praying. God reveals his secret purposes in history to humble servants who continue to live in his presence. So Anna, I'm suggesting, I'm happy to be proven wrong, as her father's daughter, it's as if she pressed on past others who'd remarried 
after being widowed so young. It was a common practice that if you were widowed at such an age that you would remarry. And yet instead she chose a different path. In God's presence, fasting and praying as it's described, we see that the place of prayer is a place of wrestling. It's a place where you um, contend for God's presence on earth. And what we know is she may have wrestled, we don't know what she may have wrestled with God about, we have a sense from the brief description here that her decision became a habit. And that habit led to a patient hope and a world where suffering has become a way of life. A year ago, I had coffee with a, a, a couple who had come into a place of renewed faith, they're full of, they're full of passion, we were at the Ascension Coffee Shop in the Design District, which is, you know, I always feel I need to, I don't know, I don't look good enough to be in there because it's so, so cool. Um, and, you know, we sat and I listened to them share of their hearts and to share how they wanted to do things in the name of Jesus. They wanted to be used by him in places of injustice. They wanted to see, um, you know, things change and race relations in the city. They wanted to see an end to poverty. They wanted to see all this kind of stuff. And after listening for some time, I was amazed. I was like, how can we use these people, right? Because there's so much energy, so really going for it. But as after listening for some time, they finally said, what do you think? And then out of nowhere, I don't know if you've, this has ever happened to you, but sometimes a really good idea will come to mind that's better than any idea I've ever had. And I've learned that's usually the Lord. Um, just dropping a, an idea or a question in. And uh, I said, I have one question for you both. What's your prayer life like? And they went quiet. And they said, would you teach us how to pray? And why is prayer important? And I said, well, if you're going to go about lasting change, you can't do it in your own strength. Because you'll get worn out. And to do what you've just described, you really need the power of the living God at your back. And the only way I know how to do that is from the place of prayer. And so we began to meet to talk about how to pray. And some of us here at St. Bart's, I mean, the vision of the church is to be a place where we, we behold Jesus to become like him. Where we're a church in East Dallas that seeks to connect the people of East Dallas with God and with his people. So that we might see his kingdom crash in all around us. We might see an end to injustice and we might see a lessening of poverty. And some of us feel a stirring maybe at the beginning of the year to, to take up that place of prayer to become intercessors where we make the hearts of the people known to God. It's not that he doesn't know already, it's just that we want to pray and bring what we've experienced and seen to the Lord so that we might partner with him to see change. And yet some of us might feel a prompting to have a prophetic voice. And the challenge is there's no shortcut. I wish there was. In fact, we could have raised a lot more than $100,000 last month if we'd recorded an online course and made it available, $30. Well, we'd really market it for $90, but sell it for 30, so people felt they were getting a deal. And you know, after that eight-week course, Chris and I, well, the church would be rich, and People have taken a shortcut to be in the presence of God. You know, it just doesn't work. That's not a tactic. The tactic is to spend time with him. To spend time with him. And it takes time and prayer, but it also requires us, and this is the challenge, 
to say no to our appetites in order to say yes to his to time and his presence. Uh, 20 years ago, I asked a friend, Malcolm, a really simple question. How do I get to know God's heart? And he said, oh, read the Bible and pray. I said, okay, tell me more. He said, well, you need to spend time on your own praying and worshiping Jesus when you could be out doing other things. I said, okay, got it. Wrote it down, said, great. Later that evening, he knocks on the door and says, we're all going to the pub, do you wanna come? I said, sure, I'll grab my coat, I'll be right with you. I grabbed my coat, turned around, and he stood blocking the doorway, and he said, I thought you wanted to get to know God's heart. I said, I do, I do. Then put your coat down, stay behind, and spend the evening instead of with us, with the Lord. And I didn't, you know, so obviously I did, because when someone speaks like that to you in a Scottish accent, you just do whatever they say, right? I mean, it's kind of a bit fierce. Um, but that was the first night I'd ever chosen to take the appetite I had to spend time with people and to drink beer like I'd never experienced before in England. And, I mean, isn't that what Tolkien and Lewis did? I mean, look what that led to. The Lord of the Rings, the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, it's all about time in the pub. Um, and yet I had to learn to say no so that I could say yes. And so with Anna, we have a woman who made a decision that turned into an hour, that turned into days, that turned into months, that turned into years, so that in her society, she was considered to be someone whose testimony wouldn't even hold up in court in a criminal case. So she had no status in society. She was completely irrelevant. And yet, who is she? She suddenly, because she's so humble, able to do what Moses could never, see the face of God. The way up in the kingdom is to go down. The way to hold on to something is to give it away. The way to grow is often, the way to get more is often also linked to saying no. Now, we all have appetites, and they're not necessarily bad, but it's about knowing and keeping in mind this idea of if we want to see God move in power, it's about finding time to spend with him. East Dallas has its share of injustice happening right now. We have a God who has, so we have injustice on one side, we have God who has the plan to redeem it all on the other. And maybe, just maybe, today he's inviting us at the start of this year to consider what it would look like to follow the example of a woman who the world thought was irrelevant. But on this day at the temple, at just the right time, in just the right way, in the most ordinary of ways, she becomes one of the most relevant people. She becomes one of the first witnesses of the appearance of the Messiah because she'd invested hours that turned into days, that turned into years of seeking God's presence, praying for the end of injustice in her time. And on this day, she sees the one who will put injustice to death. So, let me get super practical. There are two apps that I use that have been hugely helpful, and there's a handout that we produce to help with your prayer life. 
We've yet to print the handout, but we can make it available digitally on our website later today, which is uh, a guide to do the you know, morning prayer and evening prayer. Um, I'll grab my phone, and the two apps that I have used and that I continue to use are inherently helpful. And um, the first one is a Bible reading app, which is great because it's recorded audio, so sometimes it's just reading while also listening, which I find helpful. And it's produced by, the, uh, by a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton, where the Alpha Course originated. And the app is called Bible in One Year. And to find the app in the App Store, you type in B-I-O-Y. Very clever. And there are daily readings, and you get at the end of it some thoughts and some devotional input. And I've found that time and again over the year to be incredibly helpful. Um, so that's the Bible in One Year. And then Rachel and I have been using um, a prayer app called Lectio 365. L-E-C-T-I-O 365. It takes about nine to 10 minutes to go through. And it's a way of praying at the start of the day, which is more contemplative, more meditative. And, um, you know, it's usually if I'm honest, a train wreck, because the boys got hoverboards for Christmas and Toby got a bicycle. So imagine this serene place of prayer where the two hoverboards with flashing lights are circling the kitchen and the hallway. And then Toby with his bike and training wheels is sometimes crashing into the uh, walls or is wiped out over the Christmas tree and it's come tumbling down. And so that's going on and we sit and we listen and we pray, right? So you just kind of have to go with how it goes. But those two apps, Bible in One Year and Lectio 365, in my experience, have been super helpful at helping me discover something that I need from the Lord so that I can grow in patience and I can grow in hope. I wish I didn't have to learn patience, but as some of you heard a few months ago, actually three months ago, uh, my mini is still in the shop. So perhaps 2022 is the year I get the car back. We'll see. And the goal is here not to say that as individuals you have to do this. The goal here is to say that as a church community, in order for us to behold Jesus, to become like him, we are intentionally going to build in space this year where we spend time with him together. And the first one coming up is on January 21st. It's going to be a prayer night on a Friday here. And it's going to be an opportunity just to come and to worship and to pray for East Dallas, to pray for our families, our friends, and just to spend time with the Lord. And there'll be those going out throughout the year. There'll be other opportunities to pray. And it's just a signal that in order to see the Lord do great things that we know he's longing to do because we've read the scriptures, we're going to spend time together as a community, pressing into his presence. Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to be mindful that there are people here today who are wrestling with God. And I don't know if it's over, um, you know, take, a, take your pick of what it might be. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's the end of, a sudden end of a relationship. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a sudden reversal in finances. Um, but we want to pray. And so we're going to pray. And then at the end, during communion, if you would like to receive prayer ministry, there'll be people at the back at the pillars who would count as a real honor to pray with you uh, so that you, um, you can receive prayer. So let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for this example of Anna. And we lift before you those in our midst for whom life isn't exactly what they would want right now or hope, those of us who might be wrestling. And we ask that you'd meet with us. Would you come, Lord Jesus, and begin to redeem? Would you meet us in the wrestling? For those of us, Lord, who long to see your face, to see you move, would you come and encourage us and empower us to spend that time with you? And Lord, we thank you for those who've gone ahead of us, who have encouraged us and mentored us. We ask your blessing on them now. And we ask, Lord, for this year ahead that it would be a year of patient hope, whereas we as a community spend time with you, that we would see the signs of your kingdom bursting all around us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.